2: Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Bitcoin in Africa, the Ubuntu way, part two, Zimbabwe, living in a multi-currency world. Hello again to the Bitcoin & Co podcast. This is the second episode of a series about Bitcoin in Africa. In February 2020, shortly before the beginning of quarantine and travel restrictions due to the coronavirus pandemic, I traveled to Zimbabwe and Botswana to get a picture from the ground about the usage of Bitcoin in these countries. Zimbabwe and Venezuela are very often named as countries where Bitcoin could be making a difference in supporting people's economic situation. I wanted to see by myself if this is true and in how far Bitcoin is known and used there. This podcast special and my trip to Africa would not have been possible without my sponsors and supporters. I want to thank my sponsors first. LocalBitcoins.com, the person-to-person Bitcoin exchange site founded in 2012. LocalBitcoins allows you to trade directly with another person. This makes the process customizable, lean and fast, as there is no corporate overhead. You can get your Bitcoins instantly. For every trade, LocalBitcoins.com offers escrow protection to ensure the Bitcoins and both traders are safe. Thanks to Shift Crypto Security, manufacturer of the hardware wallet Bitbox02, to Peter McCormick and the What Bitcoin Did podcast, to Coinfinity, manufacturer of the card wallet, and many thanks to several unknown private donors who sent me Satoshis over the Lightning Network. This special is edited by Coindesk's podcast editor Adam B. Levine and published first on the Coindesk podcast network. Thank you very much for supporting the Bitcoin in Africa series with your work. Thank you also to Gotenna for donating several Gotenna devices to set up a mesh network in Zimbabwe. To stackwork.com, the place to earn Bitcoin over the Lightning Network and to Team Satoshi, the decentralized sports team for supporting my work. This special is also brought to you by the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. If you like my work and the Bitcoin & Co. podcast, please take a minute to share it with your friends on social media and subscribe to the feed in your podcast player. You'll find the subscription links at bitcoinandco.com forward slash en forward slash subscribe. In the first episode, you learned about the current living situation of Zimbabweans and the country's political history, which paints a picture about why things are how they are, as well as the state of human rights and free speech. In this episode, you will get to know the multi currency world, the different forms and usages of money, as well as the price fluctuations that Zimbabweans are dealing with day by day. We also take a look at the current regulations of cryptocurrencies and the usage of mobile payments and internet connections. To understand the Zimbabwean currency changes, reforms and the resulting crisis, we need to go back to 1980, the year of the independence of Zimbabwe. Back then, the Zimbabwean dollar was legal tender for the first time. It was introduced to directly replace the Rhodesian dollar at par, at one-to-one, at a similar value to the US dollar. Over time, hyperinflation in Zimbabwe reduced the Zimbabwe dollar to one of the lowest valued currency units in the world. It was redenominated three times in 2006, 2008, and 2009, with denominations up to a 100 trillion banknote issued. The final redenomination produced the so called fourth dollar, which was worth 10 to the power of 25 first dollars. You needed weird amounts of notes to buy stuff. I was told that there was a joke at the time. Someone wanted to pay for something and came with a wheelbarrow full of banknotes to the seller. The seller threw the notes out of the wheelbarrow and went off with the wheelbarrow because it was worth more than the big pile of banknotes. Now you can buy those paper notes as collector's items. I found 10 million dollar notes at a souvenir shop in Victoria Falls. One of these paper notes costs 5 US dollar. I guess that's a higher value than they had in 2008. In 2009, the country, ravaged by the hyperinflation, abandoned the Zimbabwe dollar and adopted multiple currencies including the US dollar. In 2014, there were eight legal currencies – the US dollar, South African Rand, Botswana Pula, British pound sterling, Australian dollar, Chinese yuan, Indian rupee and Japanese yen. The dollarization reversed inflation, permitting the banking system to stabilize and the economy to resume slow growth after 2009. But then in 2015, the foreign currency notes dried up at the banks, leading to cash shortages in the economy. In 2016, Zimbabwe introduced bond notes as a surrogate currency, which initially had equal value to the US dollar, but today it trades at 1 to 43 with the greenback. In June 2019, the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe abolished the multiple currency system, outlawed the use of US dollar and replaced it with a new dollar based on the RTGS dollar, the new legal tender. What are the forms of money that people use here in Zimbabwe? Okay, so in Zimbabwe there is
0: what is known as um, bond, which is the cash, the hard cash that you actually hold, paper money that you actually hold in your hand. And there is what is known as RTGS, which is the electronic money, if if I can call it that way. That's another form of payment that people use. And also people use U.S. dollars and some other currencies like South African rand. But the most popular one is U.S. dollars uh, in terms of currency that is not from Zimbabwe. But mostly people use electronic money, which is called RTGS, the bond money, and U.S. dollars and South African rands as well.
2: Mm -hmm. And I always see these signs uh, with EcoCash numbers on it. Mm -hmm. So is EcoCash uh, very... Often broadly used form of
0: payment. Yes, eKokish is 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 broadly used as a form of payment in Zimbabwe. I would say um, EcoCache is just a vehicle uh, of where money passes through. Okay, so it just it just connects your your R T G S balance to the customer. We just use it to make payments, like walking into a shop, you buy bread. Uh, you can actually use it to buy anything that you want, pay school fees, pay anything that you want. Yeah, mm-hmm. But it's not classified as a currency, yeah.
2: but it holds our
0: currency, that's, that's what it means. Yeah. Okay,
2: exactly. So the official currency of Zimbabwe is the RTGS dollar or SIM dollar. Mm. Okay. As you've just heard, it's called RTGS if it's the money on your bank account. RTGS is short for real-time cross settlement. So it's called what it is, electronic money, an entry in a database. If it's in the form of cash, it's called bond notes or bond coins. But the bond notes are rare. This is the reason why there are huge queues at the banks when wages are paid out. People are waiting hours for cash. Why? Because public transport with buses or in many schools the fees have to be paid in bond notes. You can find pictures of bond notes and coins as well as a queue in front of a bank that we were passing by on the episode page at Bitcoinandco.com forward slash en forward slash Africa You can also find a lot of ATMs, but they are empty. They have been used up until 2015. Now you can get your bank statement, but no bond notes. So if you can get hold of bond notes, you immediately take the chance to get them. For instance, I was standing next to my friend at the counter in the supermarket. Ahead of her, there was a guy who had a bundle of bond notes in his hands. She saw that, and before he paid his groceries, my friend asked him if he would give her the bond notes if she pays for his groceries per swipe. And so it happened. His bill was settled, and she got hold of bonds. Credit cards. Credit cards have been used some years ago and you can book flights or use them for online shopping. But since they are all in foreign currencies, it's complicated to get the money out of the bank. So if you're a merchant, it's theoretically easy to collect money with credit cards, but very expensive and difficult to redeem it. That's why almost nobody uses credit cards. So how do people pay their shopping and their bills? In the supermarket you can pay with bond notes or you swipe. Swipe means you pay with your banking card using your RTGS money, you know, the electronically stored money in the bank. Or you can pay with eCocash, which is mobile money. People are forced into using eCocash because bond notes are rare. Most of the people do not have access to US dollars and even if the use of US dollar was outlawed. And exchanging money is very costly and cumbersome in general. That's the reason why you get 20 to 30% off the price of goods in most cases if you pay cash. On the other hand, if you use ecocash, prices are 20 to 30% higher because of the high conversion costs. And additionally, there's a 2% transaction fee that the government imposes on every digital transaction. That's basically a tax on every purchase, no matter how rich or poor you are. While driving back to Harare from our weekend trip, we stopped at one of the many corn stands next to the street. Men are roasting corn cobs on self-made stone grills. It's their daily business. You can see one of the guys called Advance and his grill on the episode page at bitcoinandco.com forward slash en forward slash Africa2. We stopped the car bought two corn cops and my friend paid with ecocash one corn corp costs eight sim dollar in bond but if you pay with ecocash it costs 10. at the end of the sound you can hear advances phone ringing that's the ecocash confirmation M-Pesa, M for mobile, Pesa is Swahili for money, is a mobile phone-based money transfer, financing and microfinancing service launched in 2007 by Vodafone in Kenya and Tanzania. M-Pesa allows users to deposit, withdraw, transfer money and pay for goods and services easily with a mobile device. EcoCash, which is similar to M-Pesa, was launched in 2011 by EcoNet Wireless, a telephony company for its customers in Zimbabwe. It is a mobile phone-based money transfer, financing and microfinancing service. Econet allows users to deposit, withdraw, transfer money and pay for goods and services, including utility bills from a mobile handset. Users can also buy prepaid airtime or data bundles for themselves or others. Users can also redeem stored mobile money for cash. A fee for each service is deducted directly from the account stored on the mobile phone. On the episode page at bitcoinandco.com Slash /EN/Africa2, slash you will find a picture of an eKokash sign, where you can see the telephone number, name, and the codes you have to dial to send the right amount of money okay. to the seller. Okay. Right, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. And now a short word from my sponsors. Not your keys, not your coins. Be the holder of your keys for your Bitcoin. For that, use a well-built hardware wallet like the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto Security from Switzerland. With their upcoming app for Android, you can connect the hardware wallet directly with your phone and send and receive Bitcoin on the go. Check it out at shiftcrypto.ch. That's Shift C-R-Y-P-T-O. You get free shipping with the code ANITA. How many people are banked or how many are unbanked in Zimbabwe? To
3: explain that, I have to start 10 years earlier. In 2009, the unity government under a new constitution ended the phase of the Zimbabwe dollar being the official currency and introduced a multi currency basket. In 2015, basically, everything was paid in US dollar. Zimbabwe had a US dollar economy, but ran out of cash. The ATMs were working, but there was no money anymore inside of them. Almost everybody was unbanked. At some ATMs, you could get South African rand, And in 2016, the bottom fell out on the cash supply. Why did the US dollar cash supply run out in 2016? One reason is that Zimbabwe is much more of an import economy than it is an export economy. So before, like when we used to have a strong agricultural base and a strong manufacturing base, we were exporting things. We had a functioning economy. In the intervening 20 years, agriculture really declined. Manufacturing really declined. We began to be a country that imported a lot more than it exported or that we even produced ourselves. So when you go to the supermarket, you will see that everything is South African. We're not producing locally, but we're buying. Then think about fuel, think about electricity. There's a huge economy that's purchasing things from outside and not much that's selling outside. So all the U.S. dollars that were circulating in the economy, at some point they had to have been from outside the country. So over time you have what's called a Nostro account, which is basically the international system of once my money goes out of U.S. dollars cash and into the bank, it's technically still U.S. US dollars, But it kind of exists in an electronic trust format. So I'm a bank here and I have US dollars. Your bank in the States that has US dollars, we know that we have US dollars collectively. But I'm never going to physically give you $100 because you are the bank in the States, right? It only exists electronically. Which, as long as we all trust each other, is great, but it means that the Zimbabwe Bank is meant to put my U.S. balance into this nostril space internationally, because that's actually where it's existing and holding its value. But the banks didn't do that. So over time, slowly, slowly, the US balance that I thought I had in my account, which was my 100 US dollars that I put into the bank, the bank didn't hold it in the safe space. They lent it to the government. They borrowed it. They exchanged it. So the US balances that banks held got eroded. And now, when I need the US dollars to go outside the country to buy things, I need actual nostrils. But if I'm inside my own internal economy, I have a US dollar in inverted commas, and I give it to you, and it's all buying stuff. So we did never check on another, like, do you still hold actual dollar? Here are mine. So that were years of doing that, and eventually just kind of all caught up with us. And it was like millions, hundreds of millions of actual US dollars. Thank <laughs> you. The banks have just been busy borrowing, lending, treasury bills and spending. And it was just a number in a database. So the physical, hard currency that should have been backing that up, it was nowhere to be found. In 2016, they introduced the bond notes, which was kind of like, oh, look, there's no more cash in the system. We're going to introduce bond notes to make these things easier. Its exchange rate is one to one. So one bond note is one US dollar. Don't worry you're going to be fine. And we're like, well, we're not
2: particularly stupid. But you also can't really do much about this. That's the thing. And then what happened next? Because I heard from people who had like US dollars in the bank, and the government forcibly changed it to Zimbabwean dollar. Do you have any cases or can you say anything about that? I mean, that's exactly what
3: they did. It happened in a couple of phases. Since 2009, we have been using this multi-currency basket. So my bank account that I had with Standard Chartered, it was a US dollar account. And in October 2018, you woke up one day and they were like, "Okay, guys, listen, you have a US dollar account, but actually that's now a RTGS account, a real-time gross settlement account. Yeah, so literally like even as an organization, it was the same. They converted your US dollar bank account with all you owned into RTGS dollars and told you, if you want, you could open a US dollar account. But you have to put new money inside this account because the other one is now RTGS dollar. The exchange rate is one to one, but you can't have that money. To give you an example how broken the banking system is, at the time, we as an organization, we were banking with caps. Don't bank with caps. CAPS is a bank, Central African Building Society. We had all of our money inside of the bank and remember, you can't get cash. So let's say we owe an Austrian company that is working for us here in Zimbabwe 1000 US dollars. We can't get money out of the bank, so we have to somehow transfer it digitally to the company in Austria. The company in Austria has maybe an US Nostro FCA account here in Zimbabwe, but with a different bank, not with CAPS. So there's no nostril to Nostro relationship. But the Austrian company's bank maybe has a corresponding bank in New York. But CAPS doesn't have a US dollar corresponding bank, so CAPS has to find the euros to convert our money, to send it to Austria, to move it to New York, so that they can go back to South Africa, so that it can get converted to US dollars, so that the Austrian company's bank account here can get it. It was mad. It was like literally like we paid one bill that I think the bill was $73 and the bank charges were $45. It was just insane. That went on for a year or so. But then in February 2019, you woke up again. And they're like, okay, okay, no, no, you're right. The exchange rate is not 1 to 1. Actually, it has taken us a while. We were a little bit slow, but don't worry. It's now 1 to 2.5. We're going to have an interbank exchange rate. So now you could move your US dollars into RTGS at the bank rate. But when you would actually go to the bank, they would just look at you like, that's so silly. You can't actually do that. Like we don't have money. So you couldn't actually do it, but they acted like you could. That was a long time. And then they introduced a statutory instrument in June that said, no more US dollars. You're only allowed to use Zimbabwe dollar only. Only ever, ever. But then you go to a government office and you have to settle a bill and you want to use your local swipe card. And the government office tells you, no, sorry, we are only taking US dollars or an
2: international credit card. So it was completely absurd, you know. Yeah, and you also have different rates. Like in the bank, you have 1 to 17 or something. And on the streets, 1 to 25. So you get more RTGS on the streets. Yeah. Because the US dollar is highly valued, especially with a lot
3: of people or businesses, you know, who need parts or supplies. They can't be imported or paid in RTGS. They need the US dollar. And also there's a lot of exchange control regulation on the US dollars. So if I'm an NGO, I'm legally allowed to trade in US dollars so we can pay a bill to a local supplier in US dollars. That supplier has to liquidate those US dollars within 30 days, or they get converted into their RTGS account at the bank rate. So, and if I'm the local company and I want to use those US dollars to buy something, I have to prove it. I have to give my invoices. I have to give my justification. I have to ask for permission. And the Reserve Bank may or may not allow me to move those US dollars out of the country. So suppose I'm in solar power and I want to buy 20 panels so that I can sell them. I only have 30 days to spend down on the money that I already had. And the Reserve Bank can take as long as it wants to give me permission to even go and resupply. So, like, that's another reason why the US actual physical dollars, the physical cash, has so much more value. So, don't put $100 into my bank account for God's sakes. Just give me the cash. Because the cash I can keep and I can use it whenever I want it, compared to the one in my bank account. Yeah, so that's the
2: main advantage with US dollar cash. Yeah, it's a huge advantage. And that's why A premium exists. And now a short word from my sponsors. The Card Wallet is the ideal solution to store your Bitcoin keys in the medium and long run. No software updates needed, it's 100% offline, it leaves no traces on the blockchain if you give it away as a gift or inheritance. With the card wallet you'll get one Bitcoin address, you can send Bitcoin to it whenever you wish and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. That's it. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House, which is also the producer of Austria's Passports, and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker. Order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita and get 20% off the price.
3: So to answer your question of what percentage of Zimbabwe is banked, basically almost everybody has to be banked in one or the other way. People have to use eco-cash because there is no cash on the streets. There is no other way to get or use money. Every small shop on the streets, every vegetable seller uses eco-cash. There was a case middle of 2019 government basically said, eco-cash, listen, no more cash out. You can no longer take your eco-cash money and change it for US dollars. We are done. And eco-cash was like, haha, no, sorry. Actually, they filed legal papers to object to that. And in the course of those legal papers, you got a sense of like, wow, okay, so this percentage of Zimbabwe's transactions are electronic, so it's huge. Like 85 plus percent of Zimbabwe's transactions are electronic which basically means that percentage of the economy is somehow banked or has eco-cash. Meaning 85% of all transactions are electronically and mobile money is a huge part of that. 99.8% of mobile money is eco-cash. I mean, it's huge. And are there other providers who also have something like eco-cash? Yes, it is like a mobile wallet there are two other mobile phone operators, but they are tiny. So again, like when you say like what percent of the economy is banked, it's actually huge because of this pressure. In 2015, maybe it would have been probably less than half, but because suddenly now you have an economy in which there is no cash. The only way I can pay for things is eco cash or swipe. So even things like Steward Bank, which is also Econet, which has really popped up in the last few Years like the queues outside of Stuart Bank are massive because they don't have any barrier. Like, I have to rock up with my ID and I can open a bank account. And if I want to exist in this economy, I have to have a bank account. And with EcoCash, you don't even have to buy airtime, you do not need a mobile phone package. EcoCash works on your phone frictionless. You only need an ID to register, and this even does not have to be your own. From that moment on, you can accept
2: payments. And is EcoCash a privately held company? Yes, it's private. But it's huge, isn't it? Is it comparable to M-Pesa? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: It's basically the same. I mean, you can get money in from the diaspora into your EcoCash FCA foreign currency account wallets. So then I can show my relatives on the diaspora how to put $50 into my EcoCash FCA wallet. I could then use EcoCash's de Change to change the money at the bank rate. Which is not so good. No. Or I could have my relatives to send me over MoneyGram, which I could exchange to cash. But how much do they take? It depends on how much you're changing. I think it's a percentage of, I mean, I'm not
2: saying it's free or cheap, but if I don't have anything, it's the possibility. So, and what happened then in 2016? You got the bond notes, one to one to US dollars.
3: Yeah, so they kind of floated around for a couple years, but it didn't change. It didn't really change the cash situation at all. Like it didn't suddenly get better. I mean, they literally had like $2 notes and $5 notes and some coins, lots of coins. And you still had to go to the bank with cash withdrawal limits. And maybe there wouldn't be any cash that day. And I think it was something like $50 a day and $300 a week. And they would give it to you in coins like, oh, here I have $50 in coins. It
2: didn't actually improve the cash situation. So just getting back to ecocash. I mean, how do people feel about having to use this? Because actually it's you have to, you're forced to use it.
3: Yeah, I can't remember. Maybe last year there was something like, oh, this is so great, you know, Zimbabwe is leading the electronic frontier, like Zimbabwe is revolutionized. We don't even need cash. We are a plastic money society and we are the future. Yeah, like we are not stupid. We are more like, this isn't a good thing. This isn't some choice that we've all decided like, oh, it's so convenient money. Yeah. So what I'm
2: going to do? I'm going to swipe. I mean, there's one thing you did here, you really leapfrogged the technology. Because I have seen many, many people with smartphones. As of November 2017, EcoCash was reported to have 6.7 million registered users, compared to 2 million conventional bank account holders in the country. EcoCash controlled 99.8% of the mobile money market in Zimbabwe at the time. During the first six years of existence, the service processed over 23 billion US dollar. In 2017, Zimbabwe's gross domestic product was valued at 7.5 billion US dollar. Prices are constantly changing. That is why the menus in restaurants are without prices. Or as you can see on one of my pictures on the episode page, you can see a packet of potato chips and the price is being crossed out and rewritten again. By the time I record this episode in mid of March 2020, the exchange rate on the streets is 1 to 43, while the official rate is still 1 to 17. This is reflected also in this tweet, where someone is writing Nobody sane will exchange to the official bank rate when you get much more SIM dollars on the street. Common sense should tell the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe to float the rate or dollar rise. But they won't do that, because it will stop political elites from looting. At the same time, the prices for and at public infrastructures are raised. For instance, the Bulawayo municipal pool. People who know me better know that wherever I spend some time, I'm looking for a pool for a swim. So we headed for the public pool. When we got there, a bunch of kids stood in front of the ticket office and we thought that there might be a swimming competition. But we were wrong. The reason for them to stay outside was a price increase from 8 to 25 sim dollar in one day. The children simply couldn't afford to go inside. The rampant inflation makes life for people who own and earn in US dollar easier. Everything gets cheaper, on the backs of the people who don't have access to US dollar. If something had cost 100 Zimbabwe dollars at the beginning of February, then that was 4.2 US dollar that time. Two and a half weeks later, it was only 3.3 US dollar. So, the thing again... If you are better off and own US dollar, things are getting more affordable. You are better off again. But if you own Zimbabwe dollar only, prices are rising, while your wage is, in most cases, not rising. From my perspective, seeing the living conditions of people, the economic situation, the banking problems, the difficulties to get bond notes, the hyperinflation and the currency controls, I'd say this is the perfect setting for the use of Bitcoin to support the flow of money inside and out of the country as well as to support the community and its people. As a human rights activist, you know about the properties of Bitcoin. Being permissionless, transparent, open, non-inflatable, neutral. And how it could support sending money in and out of the country, circumventing currency controls. How do you estimate the chances for Bitcoin adoption in Zimbabwe? The main problem for us is
3: exchanging money. It is very difficult and costly. Even converting eco-cash to US dollar is dodgy. We all know someone who knows someone who can convert money from one currency or form to another. But we do not use the banks. I assume the problem with Bitcoin at the moment is exchanging it to US dollar or the other way around. Because you cannot pay your rent or food with Bitcoin. So in
2: general, it would be great. But at the moment, I do not know how this can work. Yeah, I interviewed a Bitcoin trader here in Zimbabwe who said that if you own Bitcoin, you basically own US dollar. Because you will definitely find a person who exchanges it for you. Since cryptocurrency exchanges are outlawed, people exchange peer-to-peer in specific WhatsApp or Facebook groups. So if you take on the effort to find those groups, then you can easily exchange Bitcoin to US dollar. Oh really? That's great. I think it needs
3: a combination of education, reassurance and convenience. As I said, the most important part at the moment would be the exchange possibilities of Bitcoin to cash or US dollar. As long as that's easy, I think the potential and the prospects for Bitcoin adoption are pretty high. Do you see other obstacles? I guess liquidity and regulation. Because I do not know what the government is doing here, aside from obviously blocking GOLIX, the only Bitcoin exchange we had in Zimbabwe.
2: A research paper that I found online called the Impact of Cryptocurrencies in Zimbabwe and Analysis of Bitcoins, written by Anthony tapiva Matsikana, says that in 2017 the central bank categorically stated that cryptocurrencies are not welcome in Zimbabwe. The Reserve Bank made it clear that cryptos were endangering the public. In 2018, the RBZ noted that it will be illegal to accept cryptos as collateral, open accounts of exchanges, dealing with them, and transfer or receipt money to purchase or sell virtual currencies. Further on, the research paper says, the Arbicet believed they were protecting the public when they banned cryptocurrencies. Around 2018, many people were scammed by a Ponzi scheme called MMM, a lot of the guiders made a fair bit of money, with many of them converting their Mavros, the MMM digital currency, into Bitcoin. With those Bitcoin, they bought cars from Japan and continued to enjoy their money safely stored in Bitcoin wallets. So, I assume that those people bought the Japanese cars on a website called b is still possible to buy cars with Bitcoin there. Because the online entrepreneur I talked with, he said to me that many people exchanged their money into Bitcoin over Golix to buy cars. I conclude that in the 2017 Bitcoin boom, many people in Zimbabwe were scammed by MMM or OneCoin, and they reported that to the ABCD. And the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe used this as a reason to shut down the crypto exchange colleagues and to forbid the handling of virtual currencies. And yes, scams are really a big problem, especially in countries where the people are poor, in desperate need of money and have a lack of education because of the circumstances. That is why education is so important to see the differences between Bitcoin and scams. Banning cryptocurrencies cannot be the answer. Firstly, because the technology in itself is not scammy or fraudulent. It's the people who use it with the intent to defraud others. And secondly, Bitcoin cannot be banned because it works permissionless and is decentralized. If you ban it in one country, other countries might not. So globally, you will always be able to use it, maybe under the governmental radar. As there are no exchanges in Zimbabwe, people establish groups of trust on social media and exchange peer-to-peer. I believe Satoshi Nakamoto built Bitcoin exactly for that purpose. In one of the following episodes, I speak with a teacher who is also a digital entrepreneur. She told me about the African philosophy of Ubuntu. And how the narrative of Bitcoin in Southern Africa should be shifted from the Western narrative of Bitcoin as a self-sovereign freedom money to Bitcoin is community money. In my view, these peer-to-peer groups on social media are exactly an expression of this community support. Ubuntu
1: is, it basically stands for I am because you are. Um, The health of your community the health of the people around you will determine your own personal well-being. So I'll give you an example in how we greet each other. So when we say good morning, it's typically Mamuka Se, which is just asking, How did you wake up? The response to that is Tamuka kanamamukao, which means we woke up well only if you woke up well. So it's ingrained in our very language. It's it's Basically, putting an emphasis on those around you in order to improve your own social standing or your own your own well being as a person. So I feel like if we shift cryptocurrency for what it stands for, aside there's a one side where it's like yeah it's against the system. It's like this activist. It's almost taken on the shade of activism. But if you look at it in the benefit that I can if I use if I have a Bitcoin, let's just choose Bitcoin, right? I can send money to my relatives who are in Malawi or in Namibia or in Ghana. Uh, Currently, I can't. uh, With our own currency, I can't send money out um, freely and quickly. It's usually a bit of a process and you have to get all sorts of approvals. But if cryptocurrency, if Bitcoin allows me to quickly take care of the people around me, if we can sit down as a community and say, okay, we need to buy a new borehole for our community because we don't have water and we haven't had water for years and we need a communal borehole. If Bitcoin allows us to buy and ship that <laughs> a bore, we'll say we want the equipment or whatever, we want to bring it in from America or China or Europe and we can do that without, just by using our phones and not having to go through like, That's an amazing thing. You know, if we look at it from a place of development, if we look at it from a place of helping the community and taking care of each other, if it allows us to take care of each other without having to create so many barriers and so much red tape to get stuff done with money. I feel like when you change that narrative, you you speak to something very deep within an African.
2: So now we're coming to the end of this episode. All the people I talked with immediately understood the use case of Bitcoin in Zimbabwe. But there's another obstacle. Internet use is expensive and slow. Most of the people in Zimbabwe cannot afford to pay for an internet connection. This is one of the reasons why EcoCash is so successful. One doesn't need to pay for the use upfront, and one does not need an internet package to use the mobile money. It's also common to buy a so-called WhatsApp bundle or a social media bundle, which are more affordable than open Internet access, which is what you need to install a Bitcoin wallet on your phone. Therefore, I suggest solutions where Bitcoin can be used inside those channels. The most used channels are WhatsApp, Facebook and Instagram followed by Twitter and Telegram. Telegram saw an influx of users while the internet shut down in Zimbabwe at the beginning of 2019, when people realized that they cannot use WhatsApp or Facebook anymore, but Telegram is still working. In the next, the third episode of this six-part series, you will hear from two Bitcoin and cryptocurrency users in Zimbabwe. They are early adopters who use Bitcoin to get paid for freelance work from foreign companies and are also Bitcoin traders. If you like my show, please subscribe to it in your podcast player and share the episode on social media. You can find additional pictures and videos from my travel on the episode page at bitcoinandco.com forward slash en forward slash Africa 2. Bitcoin and is written with a U. If you are a German speaker and want to start using Bitcoin, then I recommend my book to you. It gives a comprehensive jumpstart into becoming a Bitcoin user with recommendations and safety tips. You can buy it on Amazon or if you prefer to pay with Bitcoin and Lightning, drop me a message at hello at anitaposch.com. I'm currently looking for new sponsors, so please feel free to send me a message too. For updates and education regarding the use of Bitcoin, please follow me on Twitter at Anita Posh and subscribe to my newsletter at anitaposch.com forward slash newsletter. My name, Posh is always written with a C. Thanks for listening and I hope you will tune in for the next episode next week. Music start with Yes, Delicate Beats. Editing by R&B Levine and the Coindesk Podcast Network. Idea, content and production. Yours truly, Anita Posch.